you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary. And beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Like we said earlier, today marks the beginning of Advent. This is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas morning. Advent is a time of reflection and of remembering. The word Advent comes from the Latin word, which means coming. The people of Israel, the people of God, had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this Messiah to come. For this king who would free them and restore Israel back to its place of prominence in the world. Because they were under slavery. They were under the yoke of the Roman occupation. And they were desperate for this coming king. 2,000 years later, we live in a world today with people that are hurting and broken and lost and confused spiritually. And we long for the return of that king again, to set up his eternal kingdom for all eternity, for once and for all. It's great to have you here this morning. If you're a guest with us or if you've been maybe joining us for the last three weeks and you've never met me before because I've been off, uh, my name's Kevin. I serve as the lead pastor here. It's great to be back. And uh, we are starting a four-week series called Come to Worship. And this is an Advent series where we are going to be looking predominantly at the words of the Magi who came with this idea that I have come to worship. The Magi didn't go to the birth of Jesus for what they would receive. Right? The Magi didn't say, hey man, let's load up our camels, let's load up our donkeys, let's travel for months across deserts and wilderness and thieves and wildlife just so that we could show up and see what Jesus is going to give me. They didn't do that. They went through the difficulty. They went through the hardship. They went through the trials of getting there, following a star. How psychotic is that? (laughs) Hey, there's a big bright star in the sky. Let's just follow it and see where it takes us. How many of you, that's your vacation plan this Christmas season? Hey, there's some light in the sky. Let's just see where, it, where we end up. We don't do that. Special if we don't know where it's going to bring us. But their heart was they show up with gifts because we have come to worship. They're not centered on what they will get when they show up. They're centered on we have come to worship. And sadly, I think our Christian culture, especially Western Christianity, has gone down a very slippery slope where it's about what I get. It's about what I get. What is God going to give me if I follow him? 
What is God going to give me if I surrender my life to him? How will this bless me? How will this benefit me? What are the perks to me if I follow God? And sometimes, let's be honest, we choose churches that way too. Well, why would I go to this church? What will I get if I come to your church? I love it when people, new people come and they visit me. They bring me a cup of coffee. That's how they butter themselves up to get into my office. It works. Bring coffee. I'll let you right in. Okay, it's the way it works, right? And they walk in and say, well, Pastor Kevin, if I come to your church, what will I get? What will you give me? And I usually say, well, I'll call out your sin and make you so uncomfortable you'll hate this place. (laughs) I don't see them again. (laughs) Because we don't come for what we get. You and I need a heart where we come to worship. And that's what I want us to do over the next four weeks is I want to talk about worship. And that might sound like a a strange topic to talk about leading into Christmas, but I actually believe the greatest Christmas present you could ever receive is a better heart of worship. I firmly believe this. My my, my hair, my arm just stood up when I said that. I firmly believe this. The greatest thing you could receive this Christmas season is a greater heart of worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who was born and placed in a manger, the one who was put on a cross, the one who was laid in a tomb, the one who was risen from the dead, the one who ascended to heaven. If you and I could grow our hearts of worship just a little bit more, it's the greatest gift you can receive. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about worship. And what I love about worship, especially at Christmas time, is it just seems like this is the time of year when we're so busy, when we're so focused on what I want, what I want, what I get, But then you go out into the malls, and you hear Christmas music playing. And for this four-week season, while some stores start in October, okay, and it drives me a little crazy, but suddenly there's a spirit of worship happening where worship never happens. I'm in the mall looking for what I would like. Ooh, I'd like one of these for Christmas. Ooh, I'd like one of these for Christmas. And then I hear, O come, O come, Emmanuel being played over the loudspeakers. Just the spirit of worship seems to kind of pervade our culture, whether people realize it or not. So how can we grow in worship? That's why I think worship and Christmas are so tied together and a great topic to look at. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about worship, and we're going to be talking about four postures of worship. We're going to be talking about bringing our gifts to worship. We're going to be talking about pouring out our hearts as a posture of worship. We're going to be talking about bowing our knees as a posture of worship. And today we're going to talk about a fun, controversial, and divisive topic of lifting our hands as a posture of worship. And I know some of you, especially the men, just got real nervous. (laughs) that we're going to talk about lifting our hands in church. So in order to kind of calm everybody down, let's just watch this video and talk a little bit about hand lifting in church. Give this a watch. So the posture of worship that we are talking about is not how you live your life. It is how we come in praise and adoration of God. There's a difference Nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus or the apostles do away with the corporate worship of God. 
He doesn't. Nowhere. It's not there. Right? Sometimes we like to think, oh, I don't need to worship because my whole life is a spiritual act of worship. That's wrong. It's false. It's still in here. Nowhere does Jesus do away with corporate worship. Nowhere does the apostles do away with corporate worship. So we need to look at what the Bible has to say of the posture that you and I take when we come to worship. And I'm going to start with Psalm 63. I'm going to be jumping around a lot in the Bible today, but if you want to open your Bible to Psalm 63, that's where I'm going to start. Or if you've got the church app, you can follow along the sermon outline there. But Psalm 63 is where I'm going to start. And here's what King David writes in Psalm 63, starting in verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. And in a dry, parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Now, sometimes when we think of these Bible characters, we can go, oh, well, it's real easy for King David to be a man who lifts his hands. He's king. (laughs) You know, his life is perfect. His life is awesome. He's rich. He's got money. He's got power. He's got influence. He's got women. He's got whatever he wants. Very easy for him to take a posture of lifting hands in praise to God. (laughs) But when this is written, what this is actually describing, this is describing King David's time in the wilderness. (laughs) Before he was king. This is actually talking about an incredible low point in David's life where there was another king by the name of Saul. And God's favor had left Saul. And Saul had become obsessed with killing and destroying David. And David had to run and he's in hiding. He's hiding out in caves. He's hiding out in the wilderness trying to escape from Saul's army. And even in those moments of complete despair, hiding out in the wilderness, living in a cave, I see you, God, in the sanctuary. I see your glory. I see your power. I see you at work. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Even in the worst He takes a posture of lifting hands to God because he has seen God work. He has witnessed God's power. And the response of his heart, the response of his soul is to lift up his hands. I've shared my story before, and if you haven't heard it, I'll I'll keep it short. But I, I grew up in a Christian environment where I was raised and I believed God hated me. I was raised in a a Christian kind of religious environment where because I was fidgety, because I probably had some form of ADHD most likely because, I mean, you know my attention span when you meet with me, (laughs) okay, or when I'm fidgeting or when I can't stand still for more than five minutes, okay, I'd be on every drug the school nurse would hand out if they did that back in the 70s. I was the last generation to still get the ruler. How many of you got the ruler? At school, yeah, where you put your hand on the desk and the little old nun would walk up 
And depending on how bad you were, there were two sides of the ruler. One part was made of wood. The other part had a little metal strip. I used to get the metal strip. And whack! And I giggle. Hit me again, sister. Whack! That didn't hurt. Hit me again, sister. Whack! That would hurt. Okay. But God hated me. God hated me, so I wanted nothing to do with God. I wanted nothing to do with the church. The church is a joke. The church is a scam. It just wants your money. It's for stupid people. It's for dumb people. I want nothing to do with it. And I lived my whole life with nothing to do with God and nothing to do with church and nothing to do with anything. And I learned about Jesus through this online thing. And the Jesus that I learned about online was not like the Jesus I had been raised to believe in. So I bought a Bible so I could debate and debunk these other people. And that I could prove them wrong. And as I read this, back and forth on my commute, I literally started in Genesis. Somehow got through Leviticus. Don't know how that happened. Especially through all the skin diseases and all that stuff. Okay. And then I got to the New Testament. And I realized something interesting. I was a sinner. You know, I used to think I was a really good person. And yeah, sure, I made mistakes from time to time. But then I came to realize my mistakes weren't mistakes. My mistakes were choices. It's not a mistake. You know, it's a mistake when you do, you know, fill out your taxes wrong by accident. It's not a mistake when you fill it wrong year after year after year to get more money. That's not a mistake. That's who you are. And that's who I was. I realized I'm prideful and sinful and lustful and boastful and arrogant and all of these things. And before a holy God, I'd be guilty. And I saw in the New Testament, I think it was in the book of Ephesians, where thanks be to God that I I will not be judged guilty because of Jesus, because of his incredible love for me. Not because I was good, not because I was religious, not because I was holy, but because he is good, because he is holy, because he is righteous. And I can have his righteousness simply by surrendering and giving him my life. And that's what I did on my commute work, on my commute to work. There was like in a train and I was, I'm tall. And so my knees are up against the chair in front of me. I have a Bible on my knees and I literally put my head on the metal bar in front of me. I put my head on the metal bar and I went like this. And I thanked God for his power in my life. No one taught me this. No one showed me this. I never went to a church that did this. This was the response of my soul for what God has done for me. How could I respond any other way than as a child lifting his hands up to his Abba Father who loves him? That's a posture of worship that David is talking about. And it's fascinating that this posture of worship is not simply an Old Testament teaching. We see this play out in the New Testament as well. When the Apostle Paul was traveling around the world, planting new churches, raising up pastors and elders, raising up people, men to lead the churches, Paul said this to a young pastor named Timothy. He wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. 
Now, depending on which version of the Bible that you look at, a lot of times, if you have an older English translation, it will say men. And then when you have a newer English translation, where it says men, it'll be changed to humanity or mankind or men and women, brothers and sisters. This word is not one of those words where it's talking about humanity. This one is specifically talking to men. Men, you set the spiritual temperature of worship in your family. Men, you set the spiritual temperature of worship in your family. Is your attitude towards worship angry and disputing? Or is it in surrender and adoration and praise? I find it interesting. Why does the Bible give commandments? Think about that for a second. We're, we're, we're Christians, right? We live on this side of the cross. We live under the grace of God. So we're forgiven. We're free. Like it's, it, we're not following commandments in order to please God. God is already pleased because what Jesus has done. So why do we still have commandments in the New Testament? Because we still have this thing called flesh. And the flesh likes what the flesh likes. Your mistakes that you like, it's not a mistake. You are. And we go back to those flesh things. And so these commandments help us deal with our flesh nature. For example, why would the Bible command a husband to love his wife? We love our wives. I don't need a commandment to love my wife. Oh, you know why? Because when you start arguing, what do men traditionally tend to do during an argument? We deny love. We walk away. We don't talk. We shut down. Drives her crazy. And we know it. So we need a commandment to remind us in those moments of tension, stop doing that. Ladies, why do you need a commandment that says respect your husband? Because when there's tension... And when there's frustration, what do you remove? Respect. And he has to earn it. No, he doesn't. You have to give it. Your flesh goes, no, he doesn't deserve my respect. I don't care. You're commanded. Why? We have these commandments to go against what our flesh wants to do. Men, we want to be angry. We want to be disputive. See, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a pastor for nearly 12. I have a lot of pastor friends, and I have witnessed the dark side of church. Angry, hostile board members. Nasty. I've seen infighting in churches. Not here, thanks. Praise God. Not here. But I've seen some ugly stuff in church world. And you know what fascinates me? In all the church splits that I've seen and all the infighting I've seen, I've never seen one of them started by women. Sorry, guys. Punch to the groin today, boys. I've been off for three weeks. (laughs) Okay? I have never seen a church fight started by women. It's us men. We give in to our flesh of anger and dispute. And Paul's command for us is to approach 
our worship like this. Holy hands lifted in praise. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all throughout. This is a posture of worship. This is an outward expression of what is going on in here. If you were to walk in here on a Sunday morning, and you walk in, and you see me standing here in the back, and you see me standing like this, how do you think I'm feeling? Shout it out. How do you think I'm feeling? You just walk in, you didn't talk to me yet, you just see me standing in the back like this. Angry, frustrated, disinterested, bored, grumpy. That was my wife, right? Yeah. <laughs> Love you, babe. How about this? Uninterested. Would you, like, want to run up and talk to me if you saw me like this? No, Yeah, close down. What if you started walking towards me and I was like, wow. Wouldn't you come in for one of my hugs? <laughs> I like hugging. Okay? I don't do the greet with a holy kiss. That's just creepy. But, you know, I'm good with a hug on Sunday morning. Okay? This is a reflection of what is going on in here. Right? And I think that's why we see this again and again and again as it talks about this in Scripture. Right? And, and this topic of worship and our posture of worship is incredibly important as Jesus followers in our world today. Because Jesus teaches in John chapter 4 that God is searching for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. So people that are worshiping in the truth of God's word. That it's not about Kevin's opinion or the elders' opinions. That everything that we say are grounded in the, in the word of God. During my time off, I, visited, I love visiting other churches and I hate talking bad about other churches, but I went to visit one church, and they got up there, and, and, the past, and they were introducing the pastor, and they said, well, we're so grateful for our pastor who sees insight in the word of God that no one else can see. And I was like, and, and I was like no. If you can't read this yourself and see it yourself, it ain't in there. We don't need some holy man pulling out insight and making stuff up. Based on this is the word of God. If you study it, pray it, go through it, you can see anything that I see. <laughs> right? We've got to be so careful. So worship in truth, but worship in spirit. It's our heart. It's our emotions. It's our feelings. It's our whole being. And Jesus teaches that these are the type of worshipers that the Father is seeking. And that's a beautiful and scary picture at the same time. It's a beautiful picture because our God is a seeking God, right? Just like he went and seeked Adam and Eve when they first sinned. And they were hiding out, they were hiding from God, and God went to find them, to seek them. It's this beautiful picture of God seeking out worshipers. But it's a scary picture. Because what if there's a type of worship that God doesn't seek. But that style of worship is my preference. What if it's my denominational tradition? And God's not interested in it. And, and I'm not trying to put words in Jesus' mouth where there aren't any. But we have to be mindful of that. 
Worship is not about what we like about it. It's about what God likes about it. We have come to worship. God, throughout the Bible, gives pictures of the type of worship he likes. And we may have to stretch ourselves out of our fleshy comfort zone to actually worship in a way that pleases God and not pleases us. Isn't that weird? Doing things in your life to please God? Why would worship be any different than any other aspect of our lives? Right? How we treat our sexuality. We would love to just do sex this way, but no, we're called to something different. Oh, we'd love to handle our money this way. No, we're called to something different. Oh, I'd like to treat certain people this way. No, we're called to something different. I'd like to worship this way. No, we're called to something different. <laughs> right? We see this again and again and again. Like I love Psalm 47, verse 1. Here's something for you uh, rhythmatically challenged people. Psalm 47, verse 1, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Are we clapping on one and three or one and eight? Is the four count beat an eight count beat? I don't know. It's, ah, it hurts my brain. Okay, that's too complicated. Let's just go quiet. It says loud and joyful, but I don't like loud. God does. God doesn't seem to have a problem with loud. God doesn't seem to have a problem with clapping. We need to do some discipleship training. (laughs) Psalm 134 verse 2 says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Not to bless you, we lift up our hands in the sanctuary as a blessing to the Lord. I heard another pastor explain it like this. Men, I'm going to talk to the men. I already picked on you already, so let's pick on you a little bit more. Men, I want to take like the most unemotive man, okay? And if you're sitting beside the most unemotive, like shows no feeling man in the world, if you're sitting beside like don't look at him, okay, because you might scare him off. Okay, we won't make eye contact with that guy. But I just want you to think this guy, very stoic, very, very, doesn't show any emotions or anything like that, right? The first time that type of man saw his son or daughter walk towards him and raise up hands to be caught by daddy, didn't that guy melt? Whether it was their child or grandchild, you grandpas, you grumpy grandpas, these kids... And then they come up, Grandpa. (laughs) You melt. I think it's the same with God. When we approach our Abba Father with hands raised, it touches the heart of God. Right? Because no loving father would turn from the lifted hands of a child. No loving father would turn from the lifted hands of a child. And we are commanded, right? James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If God feels far, what is your posture of worship? If God feels far because you handle Sunday after Sunday like this or Sunday after Sunday like this, Sunday after Sunday like, oh, this song again. (laughs) 
course God feel far. Because you're not drawing near to him. So we have to stretch ourselves out of our comfort. Take a position, a posture of worship. Draw near to God, and then he'll draw near to you. Right? King David described this. He described lifting hands again in Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2. He described it like this. He described, uh, he says, O Lord, I am calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as an incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. That this is an offering unto God. See, in, in Western Christianity, we think an offering means money. Right? We're, we're going to pass around the baskets and you're going to put your offering into the basket. We're going to put our money into the basket. But in Scripture, there are so many ways that we bring an offering to God. Not just with our money, but with our whole lives and our hearts and our minds and our gifts and our talents. But David says this is an offering unto God. So a posture of worship, lifting hands to worship. In our lifting hands, it's a posture of worship. It's a posture of reaching out to God. It's a posture of offering praise. And I also believe that this posture of worship reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle. Sadly, I think we as Western Christians, we have forgotten that there is a spiritual enemy. There's a spiritual enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy And if he can take out churches, take out pastors, take out elders, take out life group leaders, take out youth ministry leaders, he's thrilled to do that because of the shrapnel that goes out in the battle. We live way too comfortably. We have forgotten there's a battle in the church and outside in the world. Our battle is not with people who think different than us. Our battle is not with people who live, have different lifestyle choices than us. Our battle is spiritual. And the lifting up of hands reminds us of this battle. We can see this in Exodus chapter 17. Right? This is a story when Moses had led the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Then they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness And now God is prepared to send them into the promised land. And he's sending Joshua to build up an army and go and fight the Amalekites because the Amalekites are coming in to wipe them out. And it says here in verse 10 of chapter 17, So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top. Thanks a lot for your help, boys. Go sit on the hill while we fight. That sounds great. And verse 11 says, As long as Moses held up his hand, the Israelites were winning. He lowered his hands. The Amalekites were winning. Winning. Losing. Winning. Losing. It's a posture of worship before God. Winning and losing. And we are in a spiritual battle. And this When you're on your own, having to lift up your hands in the spiritual battles that you are in every day, 
the spiritual battles in your workplace, the spiritual battles in your family, the spiritual battles in your community, if you are trying to do this alone, you will be exhausted. And eventually, you'll start losing. Can I ask Ryan and Jerry to come on up here? Ryan currently serves as our el- one of our elders. Jerry is an elder on sabbatical, but he's not resting in any way whatsoever. So <laughs> just wanted to call you out on that. So you're supposed to be resting on sabbatical. <laughs> I love these guys immensely. And um, what I love about them, what I love about serving with them, what I love about my friendship with them is these are guys that I can turn to. These are guys that I can turn to because the spiritual battle is exhausting. And there are days in pastoring where it is exhausting. And this, yeah, come on in, come on in, come on in. And the story continues. Grab it. When Moses' hands, when Moses's hands grew tired, they took a stone, they put it under him, and they sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on each side, one on the other. And so his hands remained steady till sunset. Ready to do this till sunset? No problem. I got heavy, I've been working out. That's why I've been working out. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This is one of the reasons why we gather together. When you're too tired to lift up your hands, there are other people who will lift them up for you. When, there, when you are too beaten up, okay, you want a break? Thank you guys, I appreciate it. <laughs> I, could, I was comfortable. You guys are, oh, Ryan, you have very warm hands. That's nice. <laughs> Best nap I ever had. No, sorry, distracted. Look at the time. Wrap up. Okay. Three weeks off. That's the problem. Uh, Some of you are so spiritually tired, you can't approach God in a posture of worship. And you need others to lift up hands for you. When you walk into this place and you just feel beaten up and you see someone else like this, that's a reminder to you that you're not in this alone. Right? This, in kind of military language means two things it means victory (laughs) we won how many of you are sports people sports people come on we're raising hands here today we're raising hands okay sports people when your team wins (sighs) yay (laughs) yay Oh, they wore those jerseys. I like the other jerseys better. We won! (laughs) Right? Victory. You know what else this also represents in war? I surrender. I surrender. Jesus, you have the victory. And that victory starts with me. My mistakes that I like to keep on making, you are victorious over those. You are victorious over me. (laughs) And you love me. And you died for me. And because of your victory, I surrender to you. We come to God with a heart, with a posture of worship. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Come. We come to worship. The role of a pastor, biblically, um, can be broken down into three categories. The first would be protect. The role of a pastor, elder, is to protect the sheep from false teaching. And it's a role we take very seriously here. 
to make sure that we don't allow false teaching to creep its way into the heart of the church. We see that all throughout the New Testament. Rule number one of a pastor, protect. Rule number two of a pastor elder, of a shepherd, is to feed the sheep. To make sure we're giving you this. Not our opinion, not our desires, not our preference, but feeding you on the word of God. And the third role of a pastor, shepherd, pastor elder, is to guide. And sometimes the role of a pastor is to guide the sheep where they don't want to go. So today, we're going to wrap up our time together. I'm going to play the role lovingly as a guide. And I'm going to bring you somewhere you may not want to go. I would just ask that you surrender to the process. See what God would do. I'm going to call the worship team to come back up. We're going to re-sing one of the songs that we sang sung earlier, the song, We Lift You High. If you check out the lyrics of that song, the lyrics of that song was specifically written for the topics of this series. Now, don't get all excited. We didn't do that. We borrowed this from another church with their permission. <laughs> but the lyrics of this song look at this posture of worship that you and I are to take. And my greatest wish for you is to develop a larger heart of worship this Christmas season. So today, I am asking you, as we sing this song, look at these words. Let these words stir in your heart. And I want to encourage you to take a posture of worship and lift your hands. You might only be able to lift the TV. (laughs) And if that's redlining it for you, awesome. Redline it with the TV. Get the large screen. Okay, 3D plasma screen, 4K television, woo, okay. Maybe for some of you, you're ready to tell me how big the fish you caught was this summer. (laughs) Maybe you're ready for goalpost, a little bit of heartburn, (laughs) okay. Find it, find it. And maybe you're here today, or you're watching this online, you go, I'm not even sure I believe what you believe, I would, actually, I know I don't believe what you believe. I would actually even encourage you to take this posture. Because maybe God has felt so distant because you've never put yourself in a position to actually hear from him. And if you would take a step to draw near to God, even if you don't believe in the existence of God in any kind of way, maybe just taking a small step of, sure, Let's see if this is true. God may meet with you as you take a step of surrender closer to him. So I want to invite everyone to stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to, Tim and the team are going to lead us in song. Find your posture. I will lift my hands in the sanctuary to bless the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for your word. Thank you for how it stretches us, how it challenges us, how it moves us closer to you. So, Father, I pray for all of us here today that you would just grow in us a heart of worship. Not because we're religious or we want to be good Christians, but build in us a bigger heart of worship because what Jesus has done for us. 
as we go into this Advent season, it's going to be busy. It's going to be crazy. We're going to have to deal with family and money stuff and presents and travel and snowstorms. But God, help us to take our eyes off of all of those things and help us put our hearts, our minds on the reason why we come, that we have come to worship, that Jesus would be born, that he would come to point us back to God. So today we come to worship and we lift up our hands in praise. In Jesus' name, amen.